We're going to continue in our study of the book of Esther. If you'll turn there tonight, we're going to be in chapter 6, see if we make it into chapter 7 tonight. So the book of Esther, the Old Testament, if you'll turn to chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 1. While you're turning there, just a couple quick um, things that I want to pass along. One is, uh, don't forget Sunday morning, we're in the uh, Gospel of John. Oh, I forgot. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Pastor John will get you a Bible. So forgot the routine so we want you to study the word of god with us so if you do need a bible um just raise your hand we'll cover chapter six maybe go into chapter seven um sunday 8 30 10 30 john's gospel will be in chapter nine chapter nine deals uh the whole chapter is given to and written about a miracle that jesus performs in healing a man that was born blind so we're going to begin to look at that this Sunday, and so invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel, 8.30, 10.30, for our study in John's Gospel. And then also, parents, uh, we had um, to where um, the youth are going to be taking a hike on Saturday 27th. We had um, some times of like 1 to 7. Anyway, they changed that time to make it more in the morning, from 9 o'clock in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. So they're giving the kids a flyer. You should get that. We'll put it in a bulletin this week so you know, but I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. They'll need a permission slip if they're going to go, and that's, again, not this Saturday. It's on the 27th. So uh, other things that are there in your bulletin, take a look at it, and um, don't want to miss anything that's taking place here at Calvary Chapel coming up um, in the next couple weeks. So Esther chapter 6. Oh, before we do that, I do want to pray down in uh, Calvary Chapel Roar, maybe some of you heard uh, Pastor um, Saeed, uh, who is a, a pastor that's in an a, a Iranian prison and has been for the last two years. There's been a lot of news about him, and uh, he's been in prison because he will not renounce his Christianity. And so his wife is at Calvary Chapel Aurora, and, and they're praying for the family, for the children. He has two children. Uh, Rachel and Jacob, I believe, are their names, and uh, they're just spending some time in prayer, and then I believe a week from this Friday at the Capitol, they're going to have a prayer vigil at the Capitol down in Denver at noontime. Is, is that right? I see some of you shaking your heads. So it's this Friday, is it? Okay. Um, it's this Friday and two days Friday, and um, so at noon, right, at steps of the Capitol, Grace FM has been announcing it. It's, it's on the website um, on um, Calvary Chapel Aurora. And so if you got some time to go down and they're going to be praying, and not just for uh, Saeed, but um, who's been there for two years, and uh, listening to uh, his wife's testimony uh, this afternoon uh, on Calvary Live was absolutely amazing. Um, just, you know, what God has done with her and she was able to uh, give the gospel as she addressed the United Nations and um, just being used in that way. But um, they get weekly updates. They have family in Iran that uh, goes and visits him every week. And this morning she got an update and he's very weak, um, could barely talk. Um, he was only able to visit for about 10 minutes. So we want to pray. Um, I don't know if you know this, maybe some of you do, some of you don't. If you listen to Grace FM today, um, they met at Calvary Chapel, Boise. 
So there's a real deep connection with Calvary Chapel, and she's very much, she was on staff at Calvary Chapel for a while before she went to Iran and um, ended up meeting her husband there, but um, in Iran. So they're very much connected to Calvary Chapel and the Calvary Chapel community. So um, this, you know, kind of touches us deep, but one of the things that they're also praying for is of course, our brothers and sisters throughout the Middle East are going through tremendous persecution, and we've been praying. We want to continue to pray. And um, Christians, the, the persecution is getting worse and worse by today. Um, and not only there, but throughout parts of Africa and in the Far East. So let's just take a little bit of time and uh, pray for Pastor Saeed and others that are in prison uh, for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As Lord. Um, just listening to his wife on the radio um, and just what you're doing um, uh, in bringing glory to your name. And Lord, I just pray that um, as we are encouraged, that um, as we hear the testimony of faith and comfort that comes from you, and Lord, strength, that we know that you want to work in our trials and tribulations as well. But Lord, we pray for Pastor Saeed, and we pray that you would, Lord, free him, um, that, Lord, that uh, he would be freed. And we know that there are others that are in prison in North Korea and throughout the Middle East, brothers and sisters that are going through persecution. We lift them up to you. And Lord, uh, we take the words of what Jesus said, that blessed are those who are persecuted for my namesake. And so, Lord, we pray for this family. It's a real family, uh, a wife and kids that cry every night because um, dad's not home. And, Lord, I pray that you would um, just work and show yourself strong on their behalf, on behalf of this family. And, Lord, that there would be awareness within the Christian community here in this nation and, and across the world that we do have brothers and sisters that suffer for your name's sake. It's real. And so, Lord, we just lift them up to you wherever they are. Pastor Saeed, just one of many that are going through imprisonment like those in China and those in um, North Korea and in Africa under terrible conditions, being um, beaten, being tortured. And Lord, we just pray for them and pray for strength and Lord, that they would perceive your presence. Lord, I do pray tonight that we be encouraged as we read the story of Esther at a time when it was a very dark time, a very difficult time. And Lord, where they needed to seek you and find comfort in you and strength and wisdom. And Lord, you worked on behalf of your people. So may we be encouraged here tonight as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, you know, I don't know if you know this, but do you realize about 100,000 Christians every year are martyred for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? We usually think that that's something that was done in the early church, and it was. And then in the early church, there was a wave of persecution where about 6 million Christians were killed um, in the first couple centuries of um, the early church, but about 100,000 every year are now being persecuted and, and killed for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's an astounding number. And that persecution is what we're understanding is getting worse. 
and it's getting more brutal towards the Christians. So we want to just um, continue to uh, pray for our brothers and sisters and the persecution that they are going through and, and not forget about them. Um, that's a lot of people. And I believe that the um, you know, persecution get, get worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. So um, as we begin our study here tonight, let's go ahead and begin to look at the book of Esther. Uh, um, it was a time when it was dark at this time in the Medo-Persian Empire. And we know the story how Esther would come into the palace when King Ahasuerus was wanting to appoint a new queen and, and to um, have this um, position of queen being given to um, the one that he would choose out of a whole group of uh, young virgins that would come to him. You know how Queen Vasti, her position was taken away from, from her because she humiliated the king in chapter 1, did not come out when he asked for her. And in that uh, you know, anger and wrath that he had towards her, she was dismissed and never to come before the presence of the king again. And her position would then be given to Esther. And it was no accident that Esther is coming into the palace, into the kingdom at this time. And we know that God is working in this very, very dark time. And of course, there is the king who promoted this evil man, Haman. And Haman was one that hated the Jews. And the reason was, is because it was Esther's cousin, uh, Mordecai. Mordecai, who raised Esther up uh, as his own daughter because... Uh, Esther's parents had died and Mordecai had been promoted into the king's gate and the decree went out that everyone there within the king's gate doing the king's business you're to bow down and you're to pay homage to Haman and and Mordecai said no I'm not going to do that I'm not going to bow down to this descendant of Amalekite the descendant of Agai I'm not going to bow down to any man so it was Haman that was furious and this man, who was full of pride, as we have seen, and full of arrogance, we saw that he was not only wanting to get rid of Mordecai, but all of the Jewish race. So he comes having great influence with the king. He comes to the king with his deception. And he says, king, there's a group of people that are not keeping your laws. You need to get rid of them. And I am such a good guy, I'm going to hire the people to do it, and I will even pay to have it done. Now, King Ahasuerus, he is probably assuming that it's just a small group of people, and go ahead and take care of it, Haman. And, you know, that's great, you're going to pay for it, because the kingdom at this time economically was hurting because of the wars that they were involved in. So he gives the signet ring to Haman. Haman would then come out with the decree. Now, King Ahasuerus, not using diligence and, and, you know, asking questions. There's no questions that he asked here at all uh, concerning who are these people. It was Haman that did not say it was the Jews. There's about three million of them. They're spread all throughout the kingdom, and they've been beneficial, actually, to the kingdom, and they were not rebelling against the king. And we know that Ahasuerus didn't ask any questions. He didn't press Haman. He just said, go ahead and make the decree. So the decree was made. And so the decree being made in the first month, 
It was Haman that had cast lots, or the purr, as it is called, and it would be this um, destruction of the Jews that would take place in the 12th month. So there's a lengthy period of time, 11 months, between when the decree came out and also when that decree uh, would be, you know, uh, t action was taken, when it would actually be carried out where the people would kill all the Jews and plunder their possessions. So it goes out, and all throughout, the, the couriers go, and they deliver the message to 127 provinces, and the Jews begin to weep, and they begin to lament, and it's a very, very dark time. And one of the lessons that we have learned in the book of Esther that I think is worth being reminded of tonight that in the dark times of our lives when we feel like that God isn't there and you see the book of Esther as we have discussed and as you know is the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God but God is here isn't he and he is working and so Esther being the queen God had placed her there because he's using her to be able to deliver God's people. And that's what we're seeing as we continue in our text here. So Haman, this, this one who, who is a picture of Satan, Satan is one that deceives. He is one that comes along and he, he's a liar, just as we saw uh, in John's gospel in chapter 8. Jesus said that he's a liar and he's a father of lies. And here's the thing to remember about Satan and his lies. They, everything that Satan does is a lie and its darkness is an evil, but it doesn't present itself, you know, all the time. It's just dark and vile and, and, and all of this. It, we know that as we look at the world, we see great wickedness, don't we, in darkness and evil, and we think, oh, that's definitely the work of Satan. But also, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, and this is where we need to be discerning, that he will come on the scene and he will present himself as an angel of light, so according to the world, there's kind of a beautiful side of evil. And you see, that's what Haman was doing. He comes along, and he's presenting himself as light to King Ahasuerus. Hey, you know what? There's this group of people. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're a threat to you. You need to do away with them. And I am such a good guy that I'll hire the people. I'll even pay for it, and it'll be done. You don't have anything to worry about. You see, there's going to be one that's going to come on the scene that we know in the last days, that the world's going to look at him and hail him as a great leader, a great political leader, a great mili uh, military leader, a great uh, religious leader even. He's going to be one that the world's going to turn to and say, look, he has the answers. And he's a great orator. And he's a peacemaker. And he's going to bring the world into utopia. And he's working great signs and wonders, but the scripture tells us that they're lying signs and wonders. And at this one called the Antichrist, that the world's going to look at him and see him as light, but he's full of darkness because he is being, you know, directed and controlled by Satan himself. And he is one, Satan, that is full of arrogance and pride, just as Haman, we've seen his arrogance and pride, haven't we? And we know that the world's going to be deceived by that. So we need to be discerning in the days in which we're living in because Satan will come along and present himself as an angel of light, and we need to be careful. So here is Haman doing that, and, and the king you know, has promoted him, and he's um, well-received with the king and all of this. And as we saw, that is, it is Mordecai that is 
wearing sackcloth and as he's uh, weeping and uh, he's lamenting over, you know, this decree that come out, that Esther hears about it. He king, comes to the king's gate and Esther s- sends her servant out to go and, and bring some clothes to Mordecai. Go take him some clothes and, and see why he's making a spectacle of himself. And Mordecai says to the servant, uh, Hathak, that listen, that this decree has come out. Here's a copy of it. Give it to Esther so she knows exactly what it is that is going on. And she receives that. And it is Mordecai that says, Esther, you need to intercede. You need to do something to, to help us. You have access to the king. You need to go to him. And we know that it was Esther that sent a message back to Mordecai and said that I can't do that. I just can't go and appear before the king. If you do that and he doesn't receive you, then you can be put to death. And he hasn't called for me for 30 days. And, and so she's hesitant. She's afraid. She, she's anxious. She's, she's very much in anxiety over this situation and troubled in her own heart. Even though she is in the palace and it seems as though she's protected, it was Mordecai that said that you will not escape this. And Esther, if you don't choose to do this, then God's going to use somebody else. And Esther, how do you know that you haven't come into the kingdom for such a time as this? And that's the whole theme of the book of Esther. And again, I just want to encourage you here tonight that wherever that you are placed, that maybe in that workplace or guys out there in the field or maybe even amongst your own family, that you are there for such a time as this where God wants to use you to be light and, and to bring the gospel and to bring truth to people. And I pray that, that as you go through even the difficulties of your situation where God has you, and I know it isn't always easy and it's hard and it's difficult it was difficult for her. She doesn't have a normal marriage. I mean, she's the queen, but she's married to a king. He isn't faithful to her. He's got a whole harem. She can't even approach him without being called. With, you know, And if she does and she's not received, even her life is in danger. She's not in a good place at all. But Esther... You're in the kingdom for such a time as this, and God wants to use you to save his people. And I believe that Esther was also being a light because as we ended chapter 4, we saw that she says, okay, I'm going to go before the king, and if I perish, I perish. She receives strength from the Lord and courage from the Lord. And she says, me and my maids, my servants, are going to fast and pray. That's kind of interesting which tells me she was witnessing to those who were with her. We're going to get together and we're going to fast and pray to the true and living God. And you tell Mordecai and the other Jews to fast and pray as well. And so in chapter 5, we saw that Esther would go before the king, didn't she? And he received her and said, what is your request? And, and she said, I want to have a a banquet and invite Haman and then tomorrow another banquet and I'll give you my request tomorrow. And so the king, he does that and Haman goes home and he's bragging about how great he is to his wife and to his friends and this is how you know popular I am with the king and look at all my wealth. And besides that, Esther has invited me to another banquet tomorrow and only me 
And so he is, again, you see his pride and his arrogance. And so we then go into chapter 6, that that night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Now remember setting the seed that as it was in the previous chapter that Esther said, I want Haman to come to this banquet tomorrow. And there are some commentators that, as I mentioned last week, that say that, that Esther at that time had cold feet. She should have just given her request and told the king what was going on at that time, but she didn't do that. And I, I don't agree with that. And the reason is, is because Proverbs chapter 16 begins by telling us that the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the owner of the tongue, the answer of the tongue, is from the Lord. In other words, that as you prepare your heart, as your heart is prepared, just as hers was in that prayer and fasting for three days, I believe that the answer that she gave to the king was from the Lord, that tomorrow bring Haman and I'll give you my request. And she knows what the Lord is doing and how he's leading her. And so here it is that night before this, this banquet's going to be given. And also remember that Haman, even though in the previous chapter that he came back and he's bragging about how great he is and you know, how wealthy he is and I get to go to this banquet tomorrow, but it bothers me that Mordecai won't bow down to me. And so his wife and family said, build the gallows 75 feet high, 50 cubits well, hang him. Go to the king tomorrow and, and ask for Mordecai to be hung. You're in such high favor with the king, he'll surely do it. So things are really good for Haman right now. But the tables are going to begin to turn, aren't they? So here we see God continuing to work in such an, a wonderful, amazing way. The king cannot sleep because God won't let him sleep. Sometimes God won't let you sleep or me sleep. God here working in a way where he can't sleep. Bring the, the books of the Chronicles. And, and it's being read to him. And all of a sudden it's being read to him what we read in chapter 2 at the end of the chapter, remember, that it was two of his eunuchs there, doorkeepers, that plotted to kill the king. Mordecai heard about it. He knew about it. He told Esther, Esther told the king on behalf of Mordecai, it was written in the book of the Chronicle. You remember that in chapter 2, verses 21 through 23? So all of a sudden the king, he can't sleep. It's no accident. It's no accident that the book of the Chronicle is being read to him in this portion about how Mordecai saved the king's life. And he's asking, hey, you know what? Has any honor been bestowed upon him? So God is working in... In, in an incredible, amazing way. And he wants to work in our lives as well. But I do want to stop and want to just encourage you to redeem the time in those times where you can't sleep. Because I know that I believe that the Lord will get us up once in a while. And he'll get us up in those times at night where we're restless and just redeem that time because perhaps the Lord wants to speak to you. 
He desires for you to spend time with him. So spend that time with him. Read the word of God. You know, say, Lord, I'm up. Are you trying to tell me something? Lord, are you speaking to me? Maybe there's somebody that he really puts on your heart. Pray for them or a situation or, you know, something is just um, uneasy, whatever it might be. And I know those things have happened to me where I've gotten up and I end up praying for my kids. I end up praying for an individual that's maybe on my heart or I read the scriptures and I think that the Lord will do that at, at night because that's when it's quiet. And we can, you know, have our quiet times, which are good, and I would encourage you to have those devotion times and those quiet times. But during the day, as we're working and as we're, you know, active and the phone is ringing and um, there's errands to be run and work to be done and kids to be taken care of and all kinds of things, it's noisy, isn't it? And I believe that sometimes and oftentimes... As we read about in the Psalms, the night watches, that David would be praying in those night watches, that that's when it's quiet enough to where the Lord can really speak to our hearts. So take advantage of those times. When you find yourself being restless, go to the Lord and pray and spend some time with Him. And we see that here is, is the king asking, has anything been done for Mordecai? Nothing's been done for him. Can I encourage you in one other area? That you who are living for the Lord and serving the Lord, the Lord sees your work and he remembers it and he's not going to forget it. And you're going to be rewarded greatly for the things that you have done. And that's why I, I know that um, I often say this, but I just want to keep this before us. That it's so important that we keep an eternal perspective on life. That what we do for Christ, that's what's going to last. And we're going to be rewarded as we know that throughout the New Testament, it talks a lot about rewards and crowns that we will receive as we will stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. Not talking about salvation. We can't earn salvation. We cannot merit it. It's a free gift that comes as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and dying on Calvary's cross and believing that he rose from the grave. And so that's a free gift salvation is. It's not by works. But with that said, the Lord talks a whole lot about rewards given for what we have done in this life, in this body, whether good and bad, our works being tried by fire. And we know that some of the last words of Jesus that we have in the Bible speaks about how he's going to come and he's going to come with his reward. And behold, I am coming in chapter 22, verse 12. Quickly, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So there are rewards that are going to be given to you and to me. So the work that we do, he remembers it. And that's why I want to encourage you because it will help us to keep an eternal perspective on things and an eternal priority on living for the Lord and for serving the Lord and pleasing Him because everything in this life is going to go away and it's going to burn up. But what we do for Him is going to last for all eternity as you give a cup of water to a child in love as you do simple practical things for your brothers and sisters in the lord or for that neighbor as you share the gospel with others remember that jesus would say that when you give that the 
our, your Father will reward you. You don't have to blow the trumpets like the Pharisees did. When you pray and fast, go into you know, your prayer closet. The Lord will reward you. When you fast, do it in secret. The Lord sees you. He's going to reward you. Everything that you do for the Lord, He remembers. And you know what? It's okay to desire to want rewards because the New Testament gives us that indication that we should desire to please Him and live for Him. And I know that when we get to heaven and we bow down and we cry out like those angels of Revelation chapter 4, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that we will cast those crowns that we receive at his feet because he gets the glory. And that's what the 20 and 4 elders did of Revelation chapter 4. But live for him and prioritize the things of the Lord and we can go through our Christian journey and we can think, Lord, do you see me? Do you even care? Mom and dad says, you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord. You see, the world isn't going to applaud you and give you a plaque for that. The world's going to come against us more and more as we're desiring to raise our children in the ways of the Lord, of course. There's, you're doing simple things for the Lord. They're important things. So here is God working, and we need to do something for Mordecai. And so the king said in verse 4, as he learns nothing's been done, and all of a sudden the scene changes a little bit. Who's in the court? He's hearing something going on. Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Now again, his wife and his friends, you know, the evening before, go to the king. And, and here is Haman. He can't wait to see the king. It's very early in the morning. And I can't wait to ask him to hang Mordecai. And that's why he's there. And, and he's going to ask the king, but he never gets a chance. In verse 5, the king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So it's no coincidence. It's no, you know... Um, you know, lucky break that Haman enters the king's court at this time. God is orchestrating everything. And Haman, in his arrogance, believes that I'm going to ask the king and he'll hang this guy. No doubt about it. It's going to be a great day. He's so full of pride and arrogance. And verse 6, we see Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on his head. And let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one, that the king's most noble princess, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback throughout uh, the city, square and proclaim before him thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor so the king asked him you know haman hey i want to honor somebody you know how should i do that and haman in his arrogance and pride he's thinking well it who else would the king want to honor it's got to be me it's all about me the world revolves around me so he says if we're going to do this let's do it big Let's put him on, you know, a king's, give him a king's robe and a crown and put him on a horse and parade him through this city and have somebody that's leading the horse, somebody, you know, your, your main 
prince and in shouting out, this is whom the Lord, you know, the king delights in and honors. Look at him. There he is. And, and Haman's thinking, boy, this is really going to be a great day. I get to go to a banquet with Esther. I get to be paraded throughout the city. And Mordecai is going to be hung on the gallows 75 feet up in the air so everybody can see it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we're about ready to hear the crash. This is real, really, really bad arrogance and pride, isn't it? But I just want to say this, brothers and sisters, that we always need to guard against pride because it can be very, very subtle. And here is a man that thinks he's so above everybody else. He thinks that he is so better than everybody else. Only Esther invited me, not you guys. The king delights in me. It's all about me. And one of the things that concerns me about today's Christianity in our nation and in our culture and society is so much of it is about me. It's a me Christianity, a self-centered Christianity, a self-focused Christianity. And we know what the scriptures have to say about if we truly want to be great in the kingdom. You know, the disciples, right before Jesus went to the cross, they were arguing who's the greatest and who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus used the child as an illustration that you need to, to humble yourself as a child, receive a child in my name. And we need to be humble. We need to come in childlike humility to the Lord and coming in faith and also in walking with him and serving him. And then Jesus went on to say, if you want to be great, then be the servant of all. That what you and I as Christians, to be great in the kingdom means that we die to self. And Paul would say to the Philippian believers, do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let us esteem others better than yourself and look out not only for your own interests, you can look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. To be ones to realize that, you know, with God, he shows no favoritism. That we have his favor, he loves us so much. The foot of the cross is flat, equal access. And what we are to do is serve others and be others-centered and to be humbled. But what can happen is pride and arrogance in a very subtle way can begin to creep into us and we begin to think that I'm better than that person and we're better than that church and we're more spiritual and God is showing favor to us more than them. We ought not to think more highly than ourselves than we ought to. And here's Haman, that he's so full of himself. He's so blinded. And that's what pride does. It'll blind you. And here's Haman that doesn't even know really what's going on here. How should the king honor me, he thinks? This is what you should do. This is what you should do. You know, as I was thinking about this, the world's way is so opposite from God's way, isn't it? In the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. Humble yourself. Serve others. Look out for the interests of others. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. 
be lowly of mind. The ultimate example is Jesus, as Paul would give in Philippians chapter 2. That we're to love others, and we are to serve others. And you realize that as you and I do that as believers, you know what our future is? That we're going to receive a robe, aren't we? We're going to be clothed with the king's robe, that is, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're going to receive crowns, rewards that are spoken of in the scriptures for serving him and being faithful to him. And also, we're going to ride a horse as well. We're going to ride a white horse in Revelation chapter 19, telling us that when Jesus Christ comes back in the second coming, that we're going to follow him on white horses. That's our future. That's our future. So again, keep that eternal perspective and priority in your life, that I want to please you, Lord, and live for you. Because as James says, this life is but a vapor, and, and we know that this life goes by quickly, and it all will go away, but what we do for the Lord will last for all eternity, and great, great things await for you and I. We're going to rule and reign with the Lord. Do you know that? It gets better. We got a glorious future. And that's why it's important that we keep our mind on the things above, not on the things of this world, because this world will bring us down and discourage us and defeat us and, and bring, you know, despair and hopelessness. Our hope is not in this world. Keep your eyes on heaven. That's where our hope is, in Jesus Christ and a wonderful future that comes for you and for me. So here he's thinking, man, this is going to be a great day. But all of a sudden, verse 10, then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. I would have loved to see the replay on this, wouldn't you? I would have loved to see the expression on Haman's face. I, I bet he's just sick to his stomach. And here's the big crash. And again, Galatians chapter 3, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. A great, great place, uh, subtlety that we can fall into in a place we don't want to be is in that place where we think more highly in ourselves than what we ought to. In Christ is our confidence. In Christ, we know that we're valuable and precious, yes. But if we begin to think that we're really something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we'd be dead spiritually, wouldn't we? And Galatians goes on to say, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For if he sows of the flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit, you'll reap unto everlasting life. Listen, that is a, a biblical truth for every single one of us. None of us are exempt from that. Whatever a man or woman sows, he shall also reap. Whatever seeds that you are sowing today, there's going to be a harvest that's going to come up. Are you sowing seeds of the flesh? You're going to reap corruption. Rotten fruit is going to come. Of the Spirit, good things are going to happen. Now, sometimes we think it isn't happening. 
Lord, not much is happening, but you're going to reap unto everlasting life and a good crop is going to come up. So God beginning to turn the tables here, we read in verse 13, well, in verse uh, 11, so Haman took the robe and the horse arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. How, you know, he must have felt doing this for Mordecai, this man that he hated so bad. He was miserable in life, even though he had everything that I hate Mordecai and want him hung, and all of a sudden he's on a horse and having to proclaim that this is the man that the king honors. And afterwards, verse 12, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. And when Haman told his wife Zeres and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeres said to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Interesting response, isn't it, from his wife and his friends. All of a sudden, everybody's jumping off the bandwagon. But the response is interesting. Hey, if Mordecai is a Jew, you're in big trouble, Haman. And Mordecai is going to prevail against you. Now, why did they say this? Why all of a sudden they jumping off the bandwagon? Did they not know that Mordecai was a Jew? I think they did because this decree went out because Haman, he was always, you know, Mordecai, you know, won't bow to me and I just can't stand him. Did they know about the promise of God that he would, you know, preserve his people? I think it was more, hey, he's got the king's honor and the king finds out that you made this decree, you're in big trouble. And so all of a sudden he realizes that he's in a, a pickle here and he's really in trouble as we open up chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? Shall it be granted you? And, and, and what is your request up to half the kingdom? It shall be done. And then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have, if for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's uh, loss. So she begins to make her petition to the king. And she says that, that we, as she reveals her identity, we're about ready to be destroyed, you know, and, and annihilated and killed. If we were sold into slavery, I would have kept my tongue, but, but you know, you would have been at a big loss, king, because we have benefited the kingdom, is what he's saying, or what she's saying to the king. We can give our petition to the king, that is the king of kings and the lord of all lords, can't we? And we know that in those times where it's very difficult and hard, that Paul writes that when we become anxious, and we can become anxious in hard times and difficult times, I don't know about you, but I still have a tendency that I like to be able to have a routine 
I like to have the day go smooth. I like to be able to kind of control things to the best that I can. That's the way I am. So if things start to go a little haywire, if things aren't going according to my plan, that's when I start to get anxious. And one of the things that the Lord is continually teaching me to a greater degree all the time is that in those times what you're to do is to go to him in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You see, in those times, oftentimes, I will lose my thankfulness to the Lord. And we can go through those difficult days and, and you know, rough times And we can go through tremendous turmoil in our life. But as a Christian, we always have reason to be thankful because we belong to the Lord. And He is with us and His promises are true for us. And it's in those times that as Paul talks about in the book of Philippians, the fellowship of His sufferings. Listen. I am finding out more and more that in the difficulties of life, when I'm facing things that I have no control over, that those are times as I go to the Lord and really cry out to Him, that I can enter into that deep level of fellowship, the fellowship of His sufferings and great intimacy, and really begin to learn to trust in Him, And to understand something, that he's the only one that can truly bring comfort and peace that passes understanding and joy that's unspeakable in those times. There was times last month and the first time in 22 years of ministry where I didn't want to get out of bed. There was days where I didn't want to be here. And I'm just sharing my heart with you. And there was those things running through my mind of, Lord, how is this going to work out? What's going to happen that I had no control over? But I've learned something. That in these times, that it does get very hard. And whatever trial that you're going through or loss, that we can enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. And we can pray with thanksgiving, saying, Lord, I know that you are for me. And you haven't forgotten about me. Just as he hadn't forgot about his people and that you're going to work And Lord, that you're going to help. And it's in those times you really start to see, as Paul did, as he writes about in 2 Corinthians, that his grace is sufficient. And there's a deep level of fellowship that can happen. And all of a sudden you begin to feel more of the heart of the Lord. And you come into a deeper knowledge of him. You go to him and allow him to minister those things to you. And I believe that Esther went through that time. And Esther comes with peace and with 
assurance that God is working. And one of the things that the Lord has really shown me, because there was a time where I thought, Lord, you must be done with me, right? In my ministry, you fired me. No, I haven't fired you. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. And I still want to use you. And I want to work so I will be glorified. And it's in that time where you begin to really experience the joy and the goodness and the strength and the wisdom of the Lord to a deeper degree. And I know that he has more to show me in that. And so now it's like, Lord, I still got fight in me. And we're going to keep fighting the good fight. And you keep fighting the good fight. Keep running your race. And do what Paul said, as he said to the Ephesian elders, I'm going to determine to finish my race with joy. So here's Esther, and, and um, she gives the petition, we can't be anxious for nothing but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Remember Esther was told, Esther, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, and now it's the right time. So Esther tells the king what is troubling her. She pleads for her life and the life of her people. Now, the king, remember, he has no idea that she is a Jewish descent, and, and it included the Jewish people. She, she you know, is saying this, and in verse 5, Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who's he and where is he and who would dare to presume in his heart to do such a thing? I don't think he even remembers you know, the situation that has anything to do with Haman, you know, what is this decree? What are you talking about? You know, and, and so we see verse 6, Esther said the adversary and the enemy is wicked, Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. You bet he was. The king's not happy. Where is this evil man? Now, the king does have responsibility in this and that he signed this decree, didn't do due diligence in finding out what the real issue was or even who would it affect. And again, I think he doesn't even, probably he doesn't even remember signing this decree. But as he hears, you know, the name Haman come from Esther, Haman is thinking, I am in big trouble, and he's terrified right now. Your sin will find you out. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. So the king rose in his wrath and from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw the evil that was determined against him by the king. You know, I think one of the reasons that the king went out, he's so mad and he's full of wrath because not only is he mad at Haman, I think he's mad at himself for allowing this to happen. We need to take responsibility for what we do. We live in the most excuse-oriented society that has ever been. We live in a society where we make excuses for everything. And we come up with excuses. But this, you know what true repentance is? When we take responsibility for our sins, is when we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I have sinned, and then you zip it. Oftentimes, and I've done this, 
Lord, I have sinned, but. And that's what will get you into trouble. That's when you know you haven't come into true repentance and confession. You know what confession means? It means I'm in agreement with you, God, that this is wrong. This is wrong. This is sin. I have sinned against you. And you know what? But oftentimes we'll say, and it's, you know, clear back in the Garden of Eden, Adam, did you eat of that, that fruit, that tree? Yeah, but my wife you gave me. That woman. And ever since then, it's, you know, the excuses that come up. Oh, I know I got mad, but they, you know, just get under my skin. Or we come up with all kinds of excuses. Listen, take responsibility for sin and for, you know, failure and for doing what is wrong and confess it and say, Lord, I've done wrong. And leave the butts out. And Lord, forgive me. And Lord, help me to do what is right. Help me to do what is right. So we see that in verse 8, the king returned from the palace garden and to the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. And then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house? And the, as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbana, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high. That's a cubit is about 18 inches, so 75 feet high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good at the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, and he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. So we see that he was hung before everyone, and he's reaping what he sowed. So the question is now, and the problem is, and we're going to go to the prayer, is the decree is still signed. So that can't be erased. That can't be voided. Once it was signed in the law, it's signed. And what we're going to see is how it is that, um, that God's going to continue to work on behalf of his people. So, Father, we thank you for this time in your word and just a lot to take in and probably a lot more to say and make application in as we go through this but we know that pride and arrogance, what it can lead to, such destruction and, and Lord, just being cast down. Father, um, I pray that as we are told that we are to be humbled before you, that we would come in humility as we have come for salvation and childlike faith. And I pray if there's anybody that's here by chance or listening by live stream, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, there's a humbling that comes, recognizing that you're a sinner in need of the Savior of the world, Jesus, who died for you. And humbling yourself and, and confessing that you're a sinner that has separated you from God. And as you confess that, coming in childlike faith and believing that Jesus died for you, it's a real faith, it's a powerful faith, but you're coming in childlike faith, humble before the Lord, knowing your need for Jesus and the blood of the cross to wash you clean from your sins. 
And you can pray right now for that salvation. And ask Jesus into your heart as you pray, Jesus, I am a sinner, I confess it. And be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again from the grave because you're alive knocking on the door of my heart. And so I ask you to come sit on the throne of my heart and help me to, Lord, just to love you and to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus, and hearing my prayer. But, Lord, that we would also go through life humbled, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, but loving people, caring for those that the world doesn't care for, reaching out in compassion and to really care for those around us because you showed your love to us first. We can love others, love you. And Lord, I pray that we would walk in humility before you with a heart that is yielded to you, serving others. Keep pride from coming into our hearts that can be so subtle, but yet it can be so destructive if it goes unchecked. And Lord, I pray that we would always know that you are with us, desiring to have intimate fellowship with us even in the dark hours of our lives. So Father, we thank you that you care for your people and you care for us. We pray that you take everybody home safely here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen, amen. God is good, isn't he?